Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. What a powerful promise. Praise God. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for forgiveness? Feel the load and the weight of sin to be lifted from our lives. What a privilege that is. What a privilege it is. Praise the Lord. Today I am going to, uh, I want to teach on a subject that's a little larger than I have time in one service, so I'm going to, I'm going to split uh, this up between our first and, ser- and second service, and, uh, and I, I'm just going to ask you, I know that's going to require a little extra leaning in, but if you'll do that, let's stay connected and try to maintain some continuity between uh, between the two, if you will join me in the book of Galatians, chapter number five. In in all honesty, what would be really deserving is to be able to read the book of Galatians, and then begin this lesson because that would bring it in context. But for the sake of time, we obviously will will forego that and and just talk about a, a few things today that I think are. Relevant. We have been teaching for several weeks on this on the series entitled Foundations, and uh, from this we have been trying to visit and revisit some very familiar paths, maybe maybe some even some old paths. But I'm thankful that the church is built on a solid foundation. I'm thankful for that consolation. But today we're talking about that foundation, and, and we have been for several weeks incrementally talking about what makes the church the church. It's not the programs, it's not the ministries, and it's not the leadership. What makes the church the church, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ is his word that is founded upon the apostles and the prophets. And, and uh, today I want to talk about the subject, my title, and my subject today is Christian Liberty. And uh, from the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verses 13 and 14, I want to turn your attention here. Again, this is just one very, very small snapshot uh, of Scripture, um, but hopefully between the two services, uh, we can capture the essence of this enough um, that God can plant some things in our heart if it's not already there, can underline some things that maybe are already existing. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so the one word that seems to fulfill all of the law, the one word, would be love, love. God has indeed called us to a life of liberty, 
but we are not to use this God-given liberty as an excuse for compromise. Certainly not in the day, not, it's never been appropriate to compromise, but it certainly would not be in the hour in which we live. We, we're certainly living in a time where people are boiling everything down to relatives, just, just to what's relative, what, what kind of fits grading on a curve and living our life on that graded curve, that situational ethics, just whatever the situation demands, then that's where we make our decision. The Bible says that if a man observes the wind and the clouds, that he would never sow. In other words, if you're waiting for the just right opportunity to, uh, to plant something, then you will never have a harvest because chances are there's not going to be that just right moment. And uh, I, I believe that we need to, to move and act according to the will and the word of God, but we certainly need to understand that this is not a day for variance. This is not a day for compromise. And, and, and I will say this, many things are on my heart today, and so I don't know how much to interject. I'm going to try to just stay to what I feel like the Lord has given me. But, but we, are, we are living in a day that is very, very critical, very critical. And when you draw a line in the sand and say, thou must, you just started a war. You may not have heard bombs go off in the background. But the Bible said, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When you start drawing lines like that in the dirt, in this easy believism hour that we are just oversaturated with, then automatically that sets you apart and many people revert to name calling and all sorts of things to try to to, re, to reestablish in their own mind a place and a point of compromise. And so in, in our liberty, I want to talk about this, Christian liberty. So in our liberty, born-again believers, we have an inherent responsibility to one another. The Bible says in our text here that if we could fulfill the law in one word, it would be this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that sounds poetic. That, that, that almost sounds like just something we'll put on a plaque hanging on the wall uh, that seems nice. Maybe the grandchildren will enjoy that. This is far deeper than that. Much, much more. Much, much more. Amen. There, there are some things that we just cannot afford, amen, to avoid. And that is realizing or the realization that we have a responsibility to one another. How I live, how I conduct myself, what I do doesn't just affect me. As a matter of fact, it doesn't just affect, it doesn't just affect my wife or my son or my daughter-in-law. It's it moves far beyond the perimeter of just my immediate family. But what I do affects you. It, it, there's a trickle-down effect, uh, at, at a minimum, a trickle-down effect. And so it must be considered how our actions are going to affect other people uh, within the context of, of the church. In Romans 14, Paul addresses much of this with, uh, with a great deal of, of uh, uh, specifics. And so uh, we, we have to exercise our liberties with a very cautious and a very careful sense of brotherly duty toward one another. Some people have the opinion that if you don't like what I'm doing, we just get over it. And uh, that might work in the world. It doesn't really, but that may work in the world, but that cannot be our, form, our frame of mind within the church. Because what I do affects you and, and what you do affects me. And so I hope that there is a, 
uh, a, a thread of continuity between, there should be a thread of continuity between, between what is preached in every church. Amen. But let me be more specific. There, sure, there certainly ought to be continuity between what is preached in apostolic churches. From one apostolic church to the... I know there we're going to deal with different cultures and things of that nature, but but there needs to be a common cord of of, of truth in uh, in our doctrine, in our foundation. Amen. And so, it's a very dangerous opinion to form that somebody just needs to get over the things that they don't like. That's not scriptural at all. So when you're reading the book of Galatians, uh, this provides us the context of Paul's instructions in what we're talking about here today. And so as, as Paul opens the book of Galatians, and again, for the sake of time, we're certainly not going to get into all of this, but even in Paul's salutation to the book of Galatians, uh, Paul expressed his amazement, uh, and, and I'll use that term loosely, his disappointment, if you read that, that they had so soon strayed away from, from the message of salvation of grace, amen, uh, into another message other than what he had preached to them. And so Paul is addressing them uh, in, even in his opening comments. And so Paul reminds them briefly of his background and his calling and, 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 and all the connections that he has to what he is preaching to authenticate a message of grace. If anybody could speak about grace, certainly the apostle Paul could speak about grace. And so in our lesson text, Paul categorized behavior, certain behaviors that would surely result from the Galatians' mistaken belief. Many of them had left uh, the initial message of liberty and the message that had liberated them from, uh, from their sin and from guilt and bondage through the work of the Holy Spirit, not, not the, what the, uh, just the power of the Apostle Paul, but many of them had backed away from what had initially happened in their lives and they began to drift as they were under the influence of deceitful teachers who had a message of bondage under, under just nothing more than just works of the flesh. Ultimately, this would unravel their relationships not only with God, but it would unravel their relationships with one another. I, I believe there are at least three applications in this message for us today, and so I, I, I want to just list them right out of the gate. First, I think we have to understand that we cannot gain salvation through our own fleshly works. You can't, as I've often said, you can't bake enough apple pies to go to heaven. You can't cut enough people's yard, paint enough ease. That, it just won't happen. Amen. We must have the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And again, I don't want to detour too, too much here, but many times anyone that preaches a message of abstinence or holiness or separation from the world are automatically labeled as legalists. And then they, then underneath that umbrella is that the only reason we're dressing holy or abstaining from this or that is to, is to try to be saved by works. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so we have, we have to have the work of the Spirit within us. Secondly, a lifestyle of, a, of Christian liberty does not grant us the liberty to sin. It doesn't grant us the liberty to do whatever we want to do. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite of that. Christian liberty leads us to a keen understanding of a gospel message that has set us free. We are not bound by the powers of sin because we have indwelling in us the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so we're free from that shame and the condemnation of past sins. We're free to choose righteousness. We are free to serve the Lord. 
Christian liberty does not free us to live for ourselves and do what we want, but it frees us from the bondage and the power of Satan. This freedom enables us to do what we ought to do according to the word of the Lord. Contrary to our carnal nature, Christian liberty causes us to consider the feelings of other people. That's contrary to our carnal nature. Our carnal nature is live and let live, dog eat dog, who can I step on to get one step higher? That's our carnal nature. That's what will be there. But Christian liberty causes us, causes us to go contrary to that. Or consider, if you will, not just uh, the feelings of fellow believers, but to consider the level of Christian maturity among fellow believers. What will I do if what I do, will that affect someone that's young in the Lord? Amen. Someone that's immature in the Lord. What I do. And so that's why we must maintain what God has given us, not only for our own soul salvation, but there are others behind us that are watching. And so I don't want to become a stumbling block or put something in the way of someone that's trying to make their way to a deeper walk with God. So I have to be very, very careful. I, I need to consider how will this affect the youth, of the spiritual youth. I mean, how will this affect the youth? And so, uh, you know, I, I've mentioned this many times, and I, I've heard so many people talk about, uh, you know, excusing their behavior or excusing the breakup of homes and marriages and to say, well, the kids will be all right. Kids are resilient. Well, you're kidding yourself. You're absolutely kidding yourself if you think that you are going to just make some grand turn to the right or to the left and that everything's going to be all right. Nothing can be further from the truth. Why not consider those that will be affected by your decision? Someone, someone will be affected by that. And so, in, and so spiritually, let's now bring that into a spiritual application. The same is true. And so I want to I be the same. I, I want to conduct myself the same, act the same. Now, I don't always wear a blue suit and a light blue shirt and a yellow tie. You're, you're probably not going to catch me mowing my yard that way. If you do, come check on me. <laughs> Something's probably askew. But I do, I do hope that, that wherever you find me, there's going to be tenets of holiness and, and modesty and, and that, that no matter what you're doing, there, because there's somebody that's watching and I need to consider, I want to have this in my own heart, but I certainly want to consider how my actions, how my attitude, how that would affect somebody around me. Galatians 5 and 13, Paul says, Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The old covenant, under the old covenant, the rules of law dictated these considerations. Under the new covenant, consideration for others derives out of, out of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And so, let me say it another way. The law demanded it. But now what, what we have under the new covenant is that there ought to be something in us, the Spirit of God in us, that would put a check in our heart to say, wait a minute, how is this going to affect people around me? I want, to be, I want to be right, I want to live right, I want to do right. And so we should ask ourselves, how will my actions affect those around me? I'm talking about Christian liberty and what we do and how that affects others around us. Paul explained to the Galatians that, that all of the law could be summed up in this one word, L-O-V-E. This is the characteristic that we ought to manifest both in our love for God, but also in our love for one another. Though the law in and of itself was quite cumbersome, and, and for those of you who annually read through the Bible, you know as you're going through the law of Moses, 
Sometimes you just kind of have to shake your head, right? It's like, wow, I'm trying to process all of this. And so the law in and of itself could be quite cumbersome, but God still intended, even under the weight of this cumbersome law, that they should obey these rules out of love and not, not just because they're being coerced. I have a scripture for that. And so here is this tremendous weight. Here is this tremendous responsibility. But in Deuteronomy 36, Moses said, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Here, do this, but do it with everything that you have. What a tremendous weight. If you drop down to the 10th verse in that, of that same book and chapter, the scripture says, Hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes. And so keep these commandments, these statutes, hold this law on your shoulders, if you please, but love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Although some of the Israelites tried to develop a genuine relationship with God, many others perceive the rules as just merely external demands. These are just, these are just the rules and the law of the land. They were merely things to be obeyed, not obeyed from the heart, but obeyed out of fear and obeyed out of manipulation. We don't want to be called, uh, we don't want to be called under the microscope because of this. And so that always proves to be ineffective, by the way. Amen. Because they're not connected to the heart. And so when we are doing things that are not connected to the heart, that will ultimately run aground. Amen. We need to have this in our heart, in our heart. I, I want the Lord to plant this in our heart. I say it a lot of time. Let the word of God that we're sharing today or whenever we're here, let this, let's pull this into us. Let it become a part of the fabric of who we are. You hear me say that a lot of times. I'm not saying that just to have something to say. I want this law that we're talking about not to be a law that is set on our shoulders. Amen. After a while, this book isn't much on my shoulder, but if I had to hold that there forever, after a while, I would be leaning. After a while, my back would be out of adjustment. After a while, I would have aches and pains everywhere because the weight of that in time, and so it needs to be woven into the fabric of our heart, of our spirit, who we are. Amen. How many cussed this morning? I know that was a dangerous question just to throw right out there this early on the day. Are you mad that you weren't able somehow this morning to just, just let a bunch of explicitness fly? Are, are, you, are you just kind of upset because you didn't have that opportunity? Or did it not even cross your mind? Because I'm, I'm getting a real weird vibe here. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how to really go from here, probably. Note to self, don't ever ask how many cussed on Sundays. <laughs> it needs to be in our heart. In our heart. <laughs> in our heart. <clears throat> for, the names have been changed in this illustration for the sake of the innocent, but... Several years, many years ago, we had a family member not in church that would just cuss like a sailor, and and some of our family members were together, and there was quite a conundrum going on. And one of my aunts spoke up and said, "Well, I sure wish so and so was here so they could say something appropriate." (laughs) (laughs) 
if you think on that long enough, you'll figure out the ant and the so-and-so. So let's just, let's just kind of move on here if you don't mind. <laughs> I lost control. We need the word in our heart. Truth in our heart. Not, not truth. You know, we, to preach a message of separation from the world and and modesty in our lifestyle and dress, if you just put that on somebody's shoulders, that will get cumbersome after a while. But if it gets in your heart, if it, if it becomes a part of who you are, it will not be a what am I going to do today decision as we stand in the mirror. It will be as natural as taking our next breath. Amen. So without the Holy Spirit, this level of commitment is absolutely impossible. And so what soon happens, what soon happened to the, to the Israelites was this, that the guardrails that were there to protect them soon became prison bars. And additionally, amen, observers of that law became prisoners to regulations and Moses became the warden of that prison. And what a terrible Sad set of circumstances here. And you know what? The same thing can happen to us. The, the things that should be guardrails to protect us, if they're not in our heart, in time they become a prison cell. You know what? When Shimei got in trouble, when Shimei got in trouble because of his railing accusations, David said, if you go down uh, to Jerusalem and stay there, you can live every day that you're in Jerusalem. And, but the day that you leave, the day that you walk out, that'll be the day that your life is required of you. And you know what he felt about that? Hey, this is great. This is a wonderful thing. But in time, in time, the walls of that city became prison bars. In, in a moment when he walked through the gate, it was like, this is protecting me. But after a while, the more he stared at those walls, those walls in his mind became prison cells. And he said, I, I, I can leave here. I'm a grown man. I can do whatever I want. And the day that he walked out, his life was required of him. And so today, if we would let the word of God be in our heart, then what's preached from this pulpit, amen, or what's preached from this book, amen, which should be what's preached from this pulpit, are guardrails to protect us. Amen, there's locks on that door, but that's not to lock you in here today. That's to lock the predator out of here. And so what we're trying to do is lock sin and the predator and the predatory nature of sin out of our lives. Hey, hallelujah. The Old Testament prophets recognized that the Jewish culture, as God had intended it, had in, instead evolved into people just trying to earn God's favor by following rules and things that were sacred all of a sudden just became re religious rites and rituals and it was lifeless. It was out without no real meaning. And so we have already a cumbersome law. <clears throat> then by the time that Jesus was born, the load of bondage to the law had, be, had become so cumbersome that even the Jews could scarcely bear it because religious leaders had taken the law of Moses and added additional rules and regulations. And so hundreds of years pass, and by the time we get to this point, no one can live up to this. Paul was grieved when he realized that, that the Galatian Christians had fallen under the influence of, the, of these Judaizers. Amen. The, 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 these teachers argued that salvation did not just come through Jesus Christ, but it also came through the keeping of the ceremonial law. So in essence, these teachers were insisting that every Gentile believer, every Gentile Christian should convert to Judaism. That was their, that was their take on the whole matter. In essence, 
At the first church council, if you remember this in Acts 15, I believe it is, Paul warned against this. And Paul had to, real, had to come draw them into the realization that these people have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, even though they had not adhered to everything under the, under the ceremonial law. Have they not all spoken in tongues? So Paul was trying to point this out to them. He claimed the law, Paul claimed the law brought bondage rather than liberty. In Acts 15, in verse number 10, uh, the Bible says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to, to put a yoke upon the neck of his disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Amen. Verse number 11, he says, But we do believe that through the grace of God, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, excuse me, we shall be saved even as they. We're going to be saved because of the grace of God. So the law of Christ was not carved now upon the tables of stone, but it was printed into the, to the heart of mankind. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit baptism, the Holy Spirit infilling brought liberty to serve both Jesus Christ and to serve our fellow man. It brought that out of love, not mandatory regulations. Well, I guess we'll go over here and do this, or I guess we'll go over there and do that because the law is mandating that, but from love we are to serve one another. As with anything, we must find and then maintain balance. And oh, what a challenge that can be to find and maintain balance. So today, today we deal with the opposite side in many cases, not always, but in many cases we deal with the opposite side of Christian liberty. Much of modern teaching regarding Christian liberty promotes nothing more, at the end of the day, promotes nothing more than carnality. Amen. Please let me say that again. Much of modern teaching today regarding Christian liberty does little more than just promote carnality. You just do whatever you want to do. You come to church, sing a few songs, raise your hands, pray a little prayer, and you just, outside of that, you do whatever you want to do, live ever how you want to live. Many present-day proponents of Christian liberty improperly interpret it to mean that Jesus forgives our sins so we can just walk a few steps behind the world. We don't really have to look any different, walk any different, act any different. We don't share in their condemnation. Amen. Why? Because we've been set free. We've, we've, we've got grace. Many people who profess Christianity, Christianity overlooked the fact that liberty never excused sin. Never. Never. Amen. And so we can just do whatever we want to do and it'll all be all right. We can just, we can just live as we, as we will, do whatever we feel like doing. Amen. Galatians 5 and 19, the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? And I want to be real clear as we begin to read here that this is not, this is not an exhaustive list. And, and I'll show you that in Scripture. He said, The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And such like is a broad brush. Anything kin, anything related to any of this, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, when you start drawing lines in the sand, amen, when you say you, you do this and you cannot enter the kingdom of God, that flies in the face of what is preached in a lot of pulpits in our country and around the world today. 
Because there are men and women that are sitting in church today professing to be Christians, professing that everything's all right with the smell of last night's liquor on their breath. They got up out of a bed of adultery or fornication this morning and came to the house of God and they're lifting their hands and worshiping their, their worship and going through all the motions, all the antics without guilt, without anything. And they're furthermore going to walk right back out of those doors and they're going to continue right into the same things and feel as though everything is all right. But he is saying right here that when you do these things, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Praise God. You know, I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've just wrestled with something all, all week long. I, I heard a message many years ago, and just please forgive me if I'm meandering here a little bit. Um, but Brother Mooney preached a message, Brother Paul Mooney preached a message many, many years ago at a general conference. And he entitled the message, sounds a little bit, uh, a little bit humorous, but he entitled it, the, the View from the Pope Mobile. And the catalyst for this sermon and the catalyst for even the title of the sermon was that just days before then, the Pope had visited Indianapolis and, and, and as he was riding down through the city streets and the throngs of people that were just by the thousands that were there and, and uh, Brother Mooney was talking about this and, and I must be succinct in this because of time, but he was talking about everything that the Catholic Church believed. I'm not, I'm not here to, to speak disparagingly of no one, but I'm just talk, I'm using an ex- illustration that, that what the Catholic Church believed, the people that were on the side of these streets and they were just screaming and cheering and, and, and so happy to see the Pope and their gestures were giving the impression, we believe what you believe. But the truth of the matter statistically is that only a small percentage of those that are on that street, that are in that parade, that are rah, 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 and those that are under the influence of all that confetti even believe a portion of what he believed. Amen. Some of you probably already smell where I'm going with this. We run a real danger today that what is being preached in the pulpit and what is being amen from the pew is that there is a disparaging gap between those two. Amen. That people are saying, amen, preach it, brother. God bless you. And, and in our heart, we really don't have our heart wrapped around this. But we just got a few en- enough emotions wrapped around it to give one of these. We got enough emotions around it every now and then to give one of these. Or enough enough emotions to clap our hands, but I'm telling you that we need to understand that the apostle Paul was clear and concise, and he said, if you're committing adultery, you're not going to heaven. If you are fornicating, you're not going to heaven. If you are, if you've got idolatry in your heart, lasciviousness in your heart, wrath and strife and heresies and envies and drunkenness and revelings and and such like, heaven is not your home. Well, Brother Boyd, you're just coming right back to that mean-spirited preaching. No, no, no. No, no, no. The Scripture said that straight is the way, narrow is the way. Amen. But hell hath enlarged her mouth without measure. I've come to this desk to tell you that somebody's going to hell, and they're going to hell in mass, and I've got to make sure I'm not in that number. I must make sure that I'm not in that number. I feel the Holy Ghost in this today. I feel, 
I don't, I don't feel arrogance in this house. I don't. I feel a holy boldness in this house that tells us, amen, that we need the Spirit and the power of God to help us realize we can't do our own thing and think we're going to heaven. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I understand this makes me unpopular. I understand, it'll, I understand this. It will affect my own popularity among our own congregation. But nevertheless, I must preach the word, the whole counsel of God, because I have to stand before God and I have to account. <laughs> I don't just have to count for me, I gotta count for you. Amen, I'm gonna have to stand in judgment for Alan Pope. I'm gonna have to stand in judgment for Tom Claveria. I'm gonna have to stand in judgment for Fred Kidd. I'm gonna have to stand there. And so I've got, I've got to preach the whole counsel of God. I've got to preach the whole counsel of God. I feel a holy mandate on me today. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name, Lord. Salvation sets us free from sin and, and gives us the liberty to manifest good, through, good works through the power of Jesus Christ that works in us. Can I tell you today that all roads don't lead to Rome? We're buying into a fairy tale. There are some absolutes. There are some mandates. There are some things that are going to be required of us. I'm going to go back to my illustration about the Pope Mobile, and then I'm going to leave it alone. But back in the month of March, I was, we were out of town preaching a conference, and another one of the conference speakers, we were eating, uh, we were eating lunch or dinner together one evening, and, and I just happened to ask about someone that was a mutual friend how they were doing. And years ago, years ago now, many, many, probably 30 plus years ago now, one Sunday morning, and the man I was asking had personal knowledge of this because he was a part of the church. I said, how are they doing? And, and, uh, and I remembered some 30 years before that, a mainstream apostolic church. One Sunday morning, the pastor got up and said, I am no longer going to be your spiritual conscience. Didn't take long to say that. I am no longer going to be your spiritual conscience. And the next Sunday, you couldn't even recognize most of the leaders of their church. Now here's the danger. That means that the word was here. And not here. Amen. Because I'm telling you that if Bob Gibson walked to this pulpit in just a few moments and said, you know what, I think it's all right to do just go get sot drunk tonight if you want to. Now, not only am I going to lead him out by one of his earlobes, whichever one I can grab first, but I'm not going to go out and get drunk. Because I think that's against the word of God. I'm not going to say, hey, I've been waiting to hear that. I've been waiting for somebody to give me the freedom and the liberty to do that. Amen? 
Amen. So we have to be very careful that what we're talking about here today is woven into the fabric of our heart. Not just on our minds, not just a good idea, but in our heart. Amen. Now we need the Spirit of God to do this. This is where we are. We need the Spirit of God to do this. And so we need to recognize the value. Uh, we need to recognize the value of the Lord. Amen. There is liberty of the gospel that allows us to live under the grace of God rather than under the impending judgment and the doom of God because we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. We are no longer bound to earn salvation by good works. As a matter of fact, that's impossible to do. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's the first, for the first time since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ set men free from the bondage and the guilt of sin. Where were Adam and Eve in the garden? They were hiding themselves because of why? They were ashamed of their nakedness. They were ashamed of their separation and sin. But what do we find in Hebrews 12 and 1 or 2? Whenever the Bible talks about how he endured the cross, who for the joy set before him, the scripture talks about that he, amen, he dealt with that shame right there in Hebrews 12. Amen, despising, thank you, despising the shame, dealing with the shame. So shame, the shame of sin was dealt with because of the cross of Calvary. Amen. And so I'm thankful for that. That now enables us to serve the Lord out of righteous living. It enables us to do it from our heart. Paul warned the Galatians that they were in danger of forsaking this favored position with Christ because they were trying to earn salvation by the law. On the other hand, Paul did not want them to gravitate toward a sinful lifestyle of sin. Amen. And attempt then to justify their sin by proclaiming our liberty in Christ. I'm free. I can do whatever I I want Christian liberty, hear me. Christian liberty never justifies sinful living. Never. Matthew Henry addressed the responsibility, a commentator, Matthew Henry addressed the responsibility that we as believers have regarding our liberty in Jesus Christ. This is what he says. He said, the liberty that we enjoy as Christians is not licentious liberty. Although Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, yet he has not freed us from the obligation of it. Amen. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, but we have not been set free from the obligation of the law. The gospel is the doctrine according to godliness. Paul hoped his, his strong teaching regarding Christian liberty would result in the Galatians pulling themselves out of the reach of these teachers that were trying to make, make, make them Jews, in other words. Paul was a product himself of a very strict Jewish background. Therefore, he understood the importance of the Christian freedom that he had found. He could not a, a, accept the possibility of his converts drifting away from that, amen, both from which they had previously been delivered. Amen, they, they looked at the scriptures and as we look at the scriptures to define sin as Paul did and as he appealed to the Galatians previously, the Gentiles had been unfamiliar with such teaching. Paul asserted that the works of the flesh would prevent them from inheriting the, the kingdom of God. However, now we have the Holy Spirit at work, working within them to produce in them what we've been studying some Wednesday nights ago, the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. This is something that's going to be on the inside of you. The law was outside. The law was on you, so to speak. This is in you. 
He said, I'm going to give you something, this Holy Spirit, or the, the, the Lord has given us something, this Holy Spirit, that can manifest and produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. And so false teachers had attempted to place on the shoulders of the Gentile church the same burden that the Jews had been carrying. So Paul contended that they did not have to, to subscribe to just ceremonial laws. Instead, their liberty in Christ freed them to serve the Lord out of dedication and love. I would like to think this morning that we're here out of dedication and love. I didn't walk in the doors here this morning because I'm trying to dodge hell and make heaven my home. I came today because I wanted to come into the presence of the Lord. I want to be dedicated to him and love him. Nevertheless, Paul knew human nature in general and Don't ever forget that Paul understood the people and the thinking of the people of Galatia. He knew that they might press the issue too far by just living like they always had lived, amen, and then call that liberty in Christ. So what we see rampant, that's what we see so rampant in our world today. People claiming to be saved, but there is no evidence of salvation in their manner of living. They walk the same, talk the same, dress the same, go to the same places, entertain themselves with the same things. There's no evidence of that. Amen. So there should be a change. There should be a change that comes in our lives when we're filled with the Holy Ghost. It ought to change how we walk. Amen. It ought to change how we talk. One man said we don't drink, smoke, cuss, dip, and chew when we don't run with those who do. <laughs> Amen. That actually was well stated, originally stated, I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or dip, or chew, or date girls who do. <laughs> I changed that around just a little bit for our Sunday morning setting here. <clears throat> hey, depending on where you go, depending on where you're shopping. <laughs> Paul instructed believers to never use their liberty to satisfy personal desires at the expense of unity, of the unity of other believers. In 1 Corinthians, Paul expressed the responsibility that we have to one another. And, and, and that may sound, this may really sound extreme, but here's what Paul was trying to drive home, a very, very important principle. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8 and 13, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no more flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend. Wow, wow, wow. Amen. If, if, if I, before I would do something that would be a stumbling block to you, I won't, I'll stop doing it. Not today, next 30 days, the next 90 days. But while the world stands, I'll just take that off of the table and you won't have to deal with that anymore. Amen. We should, we should not exercise such liberties if it, if, if something is going to adversely affect those around me. Some things that are lawful are not expedient. Some things that are lawful are not, they're not healthy. It's not in our best interest. Cain's murder of Abel showed his lack of regard for anybody other than himself. And undeniably, I think that all sin stems from selfishness. In his appeal to the Galatians, Paul referenced this ageless teaching of selflessness. He meant that, that they should not use their newfound liberty in Christ as a means of having their own way. But instead of focusing on their self, they were at liberty to serve one another. Amen. I'm hurrying if, I'm hurrying if our musicians would come. Amen. Now they have the inhabitant power of the Holy Ghost to to be able to truly be, not just say, but to be their brother's keeper. He admonished them to fulfill the moral law of God, to love one another. 
the law of, of Moses could be divided into, into two but very, very important parts. The commands pertaining to our relationship with God and the commands pertaining to our relationship with one another. Though some have tried to, to live up to the demands of the law, everyone but Christ has failed in that. And so it's important to understand additionally that, that Jesus said, I've not come to destroy the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. The book of Hebrews explains in detail the completeness of the law in that the sacrificial blood of the bulls and the goats could not redeem man, Christ, through his obedience and perfect sacrifice for the redemption of mankind fulfilled may I say, or completed the law. Therefore, the Galatians adopted the law of Moses, and when they did, in effect, they were, they were denying the, the, the crucifixion of Christ because they said we can be saved through works. Paul was saying, no, you can't do that. We've got to pull this back into balance. Amen. That is part one today, and I hope we can just maintain something in our heart to stay connected. Would you make a concerted effort to do that? Amen. We've got an important subject on our hands. Let's stand together. And let's magnify the Lord and worship Him in our praise and worship today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.